0: listening to the currency welcome I'm your host Mike Gaston I'm a brand and marketing strategist and I am thrilled to have you along I've got a special treat for you today We're recording this on a Friday at the Fee Brothers factory I'm with Joe Fee he's the owner fourth generation owner of the Fee Brothers they make uh, ingredients for drinks this specifically they make bitters cordial syrups cocktail mixes and botanical waters If you've ever enjoyed a little libation on a Friday afternoon then you have probably had some of their products so Joe Fee Welcome to the currency. Thank you so much. It's uh, an honor to be here. I am surrounded by history. This company has been around since the 1800s. 1864, March 5th of 1864 is the oldest piece of paper we've got. That's amazing. And we're sitting here, you folks. You can't see this, but we're sitting. The company has um, has their offices and their manufacturing facility in Rochester, New York, in the city on uh, Plymouth Ave. But we're sitting Portland. in room Portland, Portland Ave. Portland have, and we're sitting in a room uh, that they've dedicated to the history of the company. So there's all kinds of historical artifacts, old desks, ledgers, books, bottles, labels, uh, chemistry equipment. It's quite amazing, the history here. So it's uh, really cool to be talking to you. So Joe, tell us a little bit about the company, just for the listeners. Not everybody's a drinker, but tell us a little bit about what you guys do and maybe how you got there, because I think your history is pretty interesting.
1: Well, currently we're a bottling plant, essentially, but uh, originally uh, the the four brothers, uh, James, Owen, John, and Joseph, uh, got together and uh, had a storefront at the corner of Main Street and South St. Paul, which is now South Avenue, where our convention center stands in downtown Rochester which was one of the biggest Four Corners in Rochester at the time. And that's the oldest piece of paper we got is a lease that James signed for that storefront for $450 for the year. And it was a great big storefront. And he sold cigar and produce and millinery goods and, and like that, started selling wine and liquor and was importing wines and liquors. Um eventually started making his own wine um, gave up the store, kept making the wine okay we didn 't grow our own grapes we bought from the local farmers um, and started you know distributing liquor. We had quite a lengthy list of, of liquors and other people's wines that we distributed. Uh along comes prohibition and the liquor went away. Sure. But we kept making the wine because it was considered to be of suitable purity for use uh on the altar as sacramental uh, okay. wine. Sure. Further, it was legal for homeowners to make a certain amount of wine in their own home for their own consumption. So we could sell kits for people to do this. Um, And now, not everybody wanted to do it themselves. They, uh, you know, maybe they'd had a bad experience with it, maybe they just didn't want to be bothered. So. We could go into your home and set up, you know, a a two, gallon jug of grape juice. So it was like a service. Like a service. Okay. Exactly. And get it all fermenting and come back uh, the requisite amount of time later and... Bottle it off for you, and slap a label on it, and what have you.
0: And you would get a better outcome. Because if you do it on your own, it's hit or miss, I would imagine. It is.
1: I've even tried it myself, and it's hit or miss. <laughs> um, so somebody kept track of the people that used that service mm-hmm. in a record book.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, my father took that record book down to our main library and got the city directory from the time, I started looking up names and there was a the CEO of Kodak, there's the postmaster and a few restaurant owners that may have been in that book a few more times maybe their neighbors strictly and, yeah. legal and yeah. yes they're immediate neighbors can yeah. I can I borrow your basement I'll make it <laughs> worth your while <laughs> So um but during prohibition there was a whole lot of illegal liquor that was being made No Oh no, fooling! I'm not kidding you. Uh, They, but some of it tasted like, well, bad. Yeah, sure. So my grandfather, we're into generation number two now, and he Mm -hmm. started making flavors to dress up Ah, illegal liquor. Okay. So he had a Bacardi type flavor, a
0: Benedictine type flavor, cognac type. So during prohibition. It was illegal to make mass quantities of alcohol and sell it, but individuals could make their own alcohol at home under a certain... Wine. Wine. They could so only make, their so own they couldn't wine. make hard liquor. Okay, so so this was kind of the little loophole. And your your family was servicing by helping make a better product for people. And then your your grandfather got into flavoring because the product that was coming out that individuals make on their own wasn't that good.
1: Right. Gotcha. So, so yeah, I mean, that... The 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 bathtub gin was was illegal. Okay, but we made wine that was good for use on the altar. And that was
0: legal. Yeah, that was legal. Tell tell me a minute. I you know we've we've uh, talked before. I'm a little bit aware of this, but tell the listeners just a little bit about how many different wines are you making for the church? Because <laughs> I think a sacramental wine, I need one bottle. Right? Doesn't matter because no one's really drinking it. It's just for the communion service. Right. But what did that catalog look like for the church? There was twelve.
1: Uh, that I'm aware of, 12 <laughs> different varieties of wine. Um, and these
0: were Merlots and Pinot Noirs. You and got it. And yeah. Whites, reds, and everything in between. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so we think that some of that was going out the
1: back door of the rectory sure. to help, you know, f- fund the church. <laughs>
0: But, hey, nothing's free. You gotta, you gotta keep the machine going. Yeah, I mean, uh, what? Well, maybe father liked an extra. You know, he works hard, and a little sip at the end of the day. I, would, I didn't. I don't know many priests that are all that picky about what wine they're going to use for the sacramental use. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it was a it was a wide variety. I just remember seeing that catalog and thinking this covers the gamut pretty much. Yeah, yeah, nice. So your grandfather got into creating these flavors, and that sounds like the imp- the beginning of. Where we are today. He had a cream de mint cordial syrup
1: because cream de mint was a very popular cordial sure. back then. So sure. you add that to the
0: bathtub, whatever, and you, you got a passable cream de mint. What 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 time period are we talking? The 30s? Just remind me when was prohibition? I'm all right. We're gonna check the records. Joe's peeking over at a calendar. He's got it documented right on the wall here. 1920 to
1: 1933. Okay. Wow. 13 years. Yes. Okay. So when Prohibition came to an end, everybody and his brother jumped back into the wine business. My grandfather tried to make a go of it, But his, uh, you know, cash reserves had been somewhat depleted, and the state was making life miserable. Highly regulated. Highly regulated. Sure. And there was a bunch of people with more money, and he decided, you know, to heck with this. Right. We're giving up the wine, and he kept the non-alcoholics. Yep. Uh Problem was, you know, he he
0: had like about twenty five products. He died. Oh, okay. Uh, was my, he younger than expected? Yeah. Was busy running the business and passed away.
1: Yeah. My father was a schooled chemist. He went to Saint Bonaventure, okay. and you know, had Good his
0: school BA yep.
1: in in chemistry. A BA BS BS probably. BS. Yeah. BS. Yep. Um, and. Um, He came back to the business, and he found my grandfather's recipe book. Okay. And
0: the recipes were written in code. Oh, no. So all the recipes are indecipherable.
1: Well, he could sort of sniff through some of them. It it said things like, take a scoop of Ixmas. (laughs) Well, <laughs> what the heck is Xmas? Yeah. And which scoop? And is it mounted or is it level or or what? Wow. Wow. So he sort of had to do some stuff by trial and error. He was able to save about five or six products from what had been maybe 25 or 30. Okay. And he went on to develop another, you know, 50. My sister's developed about 60. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have gone away. They weren't all hit. Sure. So right now we're at about 99
0: products. Wow. 99 SKUs. No, well, you have more SKUs. 99 products. You've got multiple, multiple bottle sizes. sizes. Yes. Wow. Wow. Only one of them's mine. Which one is that? I know the answer, but for the The audience. The black walnut bitters. Yeah, which the funny thing about that is, Joe, when we met a few weeks ago, because you gave me a tour of the factory before we did this podcast, when I mentioned to you that I had some of your product, and I said, oh, I've got orange, I've got your classic bitters, and I've got the black walnut bitters, your eyes lit up. And you said, you said the right thing. And I thought, okay, (laughs) why is that? So tell us a little bit about This is your product. Tell us a little bit about it. it, it. My
1: sister was screaming too busy to do it. When I asked her, I said, you know, I've got some, I got an idea here, and uh, I think we need to do a walnut bitters. And she was just running around crazy, and she she said, all right, look, I'll get you started on paper. And it, largely what we do is we'll call the different flavor houses, mm-hmm. and we work with four different flavor houses, First of all, we asked them to send us their walnut flavors. Mhm. Well, from four houses, we got about 12 different flavors, sure, four of which were black walnut. And there's a difference between yeah. an English walnut and a black walnut. Yeah. Um, but then we also asked them cuz these guys are brilliant. You know, what would you cuz it's not just walnut flavor in there there's other complementary fa- flavors okay that um do they enhance, enhance or, okay. like vanilla mm. vanilla is like the salt of the flavor world oh, yeah. you know it It goes it enhances enhances everything yeah but there's also you know vermouth mm. and there's quasia which is a, a bittering agent okay um, we used to use angostura bark okay. extract. Okay. There's a there's a yep. tree
0: called angostura. And angostura bitters are kind of famous in yeah. the drinking world. Yep. And
1: but there was also a you know a plant. Okay. But now it's gone on the endangered species list. Really. So we can't. Yeah. As oh, wow. of t- March of
0: 2013. And that's not something that you can they can agriculturally. Grow crops of the Oh, stuff? it
1: may come back.
0: I mean, okay. look at tequila. The agave yeah,
1: that's true. plant had a yep. little bit of trouble for a while. Yep. Um, but quasi is a very, very suitable option You know, to Angostura bark mm-hmm. extract. Mm-hmm. And even Angostura bitters doesn't use Angostura bark bark okay extract
0: hasn't for, for years decades. Right. okay interesting we did yeah but they didn't um so you're trying these different samples you get from these four houses and what like what happened well you you sort of go through and
1: you line them all up and you sniff them down the line and you say that has no aroma Or that has an aroma, but I wouldn't call it good. It (laughs) smells like soap. Um, And you, you sort of start to eliminate certain things. And then you make up a test batch. And you say, okay, if we were to take this basic batch of the other flavored things... And put it together, and then we'll divvy that up into little bottles, and we'll put in this flavor into that bottle. Oh, so you this flavor versions. into that, one. yeah. This okay. v- and you say, okay, which one's giving me the the biggest, you know, thrill in my throat? Yeah. Um, uh, and so, eventually, found that the the black walnut bitters had more aroma. and and were more flavorful. Mm. Okay, so we narrowed in on those, and we we picked one. Had a good nose, had a good taste. And then I started going over and working with a young bartender here in Rochester who has better taste buds than I, Mm -hmm. and he knew what the flavor components were. And after that, it's just like setting an equalizer on your stereo. So each night, as he was getting ready to open his bar, I would drop in and we would taste it and would say, okay, maybe 20% more of this or 10% less of that. Mm-hmm. And you just dial it in by trial and error mm. and until you say, hey,
0: I think we got we something We got something. Here. Yeah. Wow. That's how you do it. Oh, that's cool. So I should mention you mentioned your sister. Her name is Ellen. Yes, and you guys are partners in the business. We are. So you took over your father, and uh, what is her role in the company? Uh, She's the brains of the operation. Okay. No, she she and you're the the looks.
1: I'm I'm the family pretty boy. (laughs) Uh, Ellen handles production and R and D. She runs the the. The actual rubber meets the road bottling staff All the operations, yeah. Yeah. Manufacturing. I, I handle administration and sales and I you know deal with the customers and the accountants and okay. uh, like that.
0: Yeah. How is it working, brother and sister, in a business?
1: You know, a lot of businesses, family businesses. Can go awry if there are two like siblings or cousins or whatever they are that are both interested in the same aspect of the business. Okay. That's when the fights happen. Sure. The upside for my sister and I is she doesn't wanna do my job and I don't wanna do hers. Yeah. And so we get along just fine. That's
0: perfect. you can trust each other, your family. Not that you can always trust family, but you've known each other since birth.
1: Yeah. 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 At least mine. Um, She's much older than I. Uh, (laughs) She's she's got her desk in the back corner of the building. I got my desk in the front corner of the building. We can go hours without seeing each other. Sure. So yeah, no, we get along just fine.
0: Now you you talk about the sales. You were recently in New Orleans or or, or Nawlins, I think, is it Nawlins? There you go. What yeah. was that for? That was for an event, it-
1: Tales of the Cocktail.
0: Okay, and this has been going on for about a decade and a half, ten, fifteen years. Yeah,
1: this, I believe this was year fifteen. It's a big show. It's a big convention. Yeah, it's it's about twenty five thousand of your closest bartender buddies. Wow, and brand ambassadors and people who write recipe books and even a handful of cocktail historians, believe it or not, there's people that make their living doing that.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I know that researching old drinks, trying to come up with drinks that were lost, you know, things that were formulated 30, 50, 60 years ago, or more, obviously, that that's a thing. I didn't know that people make a living, but I know that— That's kind of a thing for bartenders these days is to find, oh, I got this drink from 1928. It originally happened on this corner in New York City when this one guy walked in the bar. And I know a dude who would be able to tell you that whole story and
1: mix you that drink. But it all started kind of in about 91 when the internet was starting to really get
0: going. This is the revival of the cocktail as a drink. Yes, so there was a huge explosion recently.
1: Bartenders started talking to each other and there were more resources online and it became quite uh a popular thing. Um and that's when I think the cocktail the, sure. the
0: craft cocktail movement came into kind its of, own. Kind of got born. Let's talk, because I want to get to that, because I think that made a big impact on your business. Let's talk a little bit about the business before the rebirth of the cocktail. So the company goes through all these changes, starts out selling cigars, lettuce, deli meats, whatever, gets into wine and liquor, distributing, making its own. You've got Prohibition, then you're doing the sacramental wine, uh, the sacred spirits, as it were. And uh, then Prohibition's over. You guys during that period of time, we're also doing the the servicing you get into the flavoring you try to get back into wine, but it's too competitive too regulated now we're your father's involved he's recreating all these formulas that were lost when your grandfather passed away prematurely in the coded the coded recipe book so now the company at this stage where your father's taken over is sounds like it's primarily focused on things like bitters cordial syrups flavorants right so now fast forward up to you and Ellen have taken over but this is before I'm assuming the craft cocktail revival. I don't know how long you've been the owner of the business. Well, taken t- taken over is,
1: uh, is, <laughs> family, is a is family transition. A yeah. loose term. Uh mom and dad both passed in 2015. Okay. Okay. 38 days apart from each other wow. after s- nearly 68 wow. years of marriage. Wow. Um so when I first came back to the business in ninety one So you
0: came back right then, okay.
1: Um uh, Dad was uh still a a force to be reckoned with, shall we say? Sure. sure. Um it was not always smooth sailing. Um you know the T V show the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. You know who Sheldon is? Uh not He's a big the, yeah. the really neurotic Okay. Good. Scientist. Yeah, my dad was largely Sheldon. Okay. Um, he
0: he had his own ways, shall we say. He wanted to have his fingers into everything, probably. He couldn't just let you loose to do your own thing. He needed to know that you were doing it his way. Yeah. Okay. Problem is he had never made a sales call in his life. Sure. So, what? yeah, my question was going to – what I was leading up to, and I'm glad you pointed out when you joined the company, what was the company like we don't have to get into numbers, but financially, was it strong? Was it struggling before the cocktail explosion? Because you're in this little factory in a second rate city in the country selling something that isn't. It,
1: it, 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 oh, how do I describe this? We kept noodles on the table of every so it was employee tough. that we had. Okay um there were good years and there were bad years but but we had a solid base largely in part because we'd been around for so long so our
0: brick and mortar is paid for our sure. stainless steel is paid go. for so you didn't have lots of overhead so financially you were in a better position that way Now that that made things easier
1: deal. um it it could have been better but
0: you know we were able to keep it afloat sure okay so you're solid and i'm not trying to d- diminish the past i'm just trying to get i think there's a story in what happened once the cocktail craft cocktail thing exploded oh yeah and, and for listeners that don't know this if you're not a drinker if you if you do have a, a, a drink once in a while you'll see it in the bar you'll see fee brothers bottles behind the bar bartenders using them. but this company is manufacturing and distributing its product manufacturing locally distributing all over the world if you're anywhere in the united states you're going to see it Anywhere, all over Europe. You're into South America. You guys are all over. There's some mm-hmm. markets you haven't penetrated, but not. We much. were
1: on six continents. Unfortunately, our distributor in in South Africa went bankrupt. I got to get back down there and get back to work, which,
0: which I refuse to tell my wife that. The listen, uh-huh. listeners may or may not know my wife is South African, and would would volunteer for that. She'd probably do it for free if you just paid for her airfare to get there. <laughs> oh,
1: that's all I needed. So
0: <laughs> I, I actually.
1: Went on a vacation, a cruise down to Antarctica, Mm -hmm. and took a few bottles of our product down there. Not that I was figuring to sell down there, but I was told there's a bar down there.
0: And you wanted to have a...
1: I wanted to have a picture of our stuff on the bar in Antarctica, and I could never find the darn bar. Oh, you couldn't find the bar? I asked everybody on the cruise ship. Nobody knew where this darn thing was. Sounds like we need to do another trip. <laughs> <laughs> Let's To go. the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. If you ever get the wild idea of going to Antarctica, don't do it. Oh, I can't. With What's there? Those penguins that look so cute on TV... They are filthy, smelly little beasts. <laughs> Honest to God,
0: there aren't enough mixed drinks, huh, Joe? There's not enough. You just go straight to raw spirit. <laughs> so you joined the company in '91, and uh, it well, like I've things been screwing were... caps on bottles since, sure since a I was toddler, age right? six, yeah, okay. you know, and
1: sweeping floors. Sure. But that was '91 is when I got you out of college,
0: okay. And up until that point, the company was ticking along, but it, but it's not like it is today. No. Okay. Guys, my guest today is Joe Fee. He's the uh, co-owner of Fee Brothers, along with his sister, Ellen. We're talking today a little bit about the history of the of the company. When we come back in a minute, we're going to talk about the brand and some insights that Joe had and, and how the craft cocktail explosion has changed the face of the business. If you want to check out Fee Brothers, just go to feebrothers.com. That's F-E-E. B-R-O-T-H-E-R-S dot com. You can find out all kinds of information. There's a great history. There's even a contact form if you want to get in touch with them and uh, communicate. We'll be right back in just a moment. Folks, I hope you're enjoying today's interview. I have so much fun putting these... Podcast episodes together. It's such an honor to interview these folks, to learn from them, and to put this content out there. Look, if you like things that are marketing and branding related, if you want to become a better marketer, learn how to drive significant revenue through your marketing efforts to transform your brand into a real strategic asset, then I want to encourage you to go over to my website and sign up for my newsletter. The website is mikegaston.com. That's M I K E G A S T I N dot com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page and there's a little sign up form right there. You'll never get any spam. I will never sell your information. But what I will do, I will send you an email once a week with the new content that I've created. I put out videos about branding and marketing. I write articles about branding and marketing. And as you know, I create this podcast. So sign up today, get in the system and learn more about branding and marketing. Become a better marketer. Guys, thank you so much. Let's get back to today's interview. And we're back. My guest today is Joe Fee. He is the uh, president and co owner with his sister Ellen of Fee Brothers, a uh, manufacturer, distributor. And uh, of of bitters, cordial syrups, cocktail mixes, botanical waters, anything that you would need to make a lovely mixed drink. Joe, welcome back to The Currency. Thanks so much. It's having a, I'm having a fun time here. This is a great conversation. You cool. Are a, you're a great guest. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about what happened, this craft cocktail explosion. Um, you think around 91 people start using the internet, the history of cocktail drinks becomes a thing, people are sharing information. What that's does that look the, like for that's you That's the beautiful thing about
1: bartenders is they're very, they're generally happy extroverts and they're not stingy about talking to each other. They'll be the first one to say hey to another bartender or even to a customer. Check out what I put together
0: here. Look wow. at this concoction. I'm surprised I would think they would want to keep that a secret like it's no
1: there. Wow. I, I I have never run into that with bartenders That's they, fantastic. They are happy, extroverted people, which makes my job you know wonderful i get I got the best job in the whole world. I get to go around the world and bar hop essentially <laughs> you have to get paid for right, it right it's so people say to me, what would you where would you go if you went on vacation It's say pretty much the same places <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so yeah that's what that's what happened and it, it started to become a groundswell of its own uh And these conventions started popping up. So you've got, like we talked about earlier, Tales of the Cocktail, Mm -hmm. 25,000 people Mm -hmm. for one week. Uh, It's just madhouse. Over in uh, Europe, the big thing coming up in October is the Berlin Bar Convention. Okay. That's that's another must-do.
0: And there's smaller regional shows that, that pop up. Around the world, sure, but so there's a lot of that, and yeah, like I know Rochester has the uh there's the Rochester Ro- cocktail revival, right, and I'm sure that's happening in similar concepts in other cities, yes, uh, there's been a real boom. It's easy to find great little bars in fact, I'm finding it not that I'm a huge drinker, but I like to go out and have a drink at a bar. It's hard to keep track of the new places, and we're not a huge city here, so it's hard to keep track of what's popping up and right and I,
1: I would do a disservice to somebody if i started naming names but yeah. there are plenty yeah. you can go to rochestercocktailrevival.com sure and uh, that will name a many of, of the, the bars. participants yeah. sure
0: yeah but i think every city is experiencing this wherever i travel mm-hmm. you know the bar scene and it's nice it's not just a uh, hole in the wall though those are fun but they're doing great food there's great music and they've really created a nice atmosphere i think the 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 best bars sort of combine the
1: hole in the wall, yes, with the craft cocktail. Yeah, so you feel like maybe I found something special. You're yeah. going into a dive. Yep. But oh, by the way, they can turn out a drink. You yeah. Know?
0: Yeah. And I did. What it, it's it's where you feel comfortable, isn't it? So the history of your product, if I look at some of the labels back in the day, the labels were all over the place. They're very creative, but each label seemed to be designed to give an image of what the flavor was. So if it was some pineapple thing, it might be Hawaiian with tropical uh, coconut trees and that type of thing, yeah. with sunset. Another one might be uh, look like a keg of beer or something. You had an insight around that. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Uh, yes around ninety two or was it ninety three somewhere right in that neighborhood um the coffee flavoring syrup industry became uh, it was growing sure so we had, the
0: whole coffee the whole coffee thing was taking off it was well. yeah,
1: and we had about five different flavors. Irish cream, hazelnut, English toffee, like that. Mm -hmm. And, well, we needed new labels for those. And my father had drawn himself all the old labels. Oh,
0: he created all those? Yes. Wow, I didn't realize that.
1: Some of them from templates, some of them he did himself. Still. Uh, Problem was, I loved Dad. Dad. He 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 really knew his stuff about food formulation sure, and stuff chemist. like that. Chemist. Um, sales wasn't exactly his strong suit. Okay, and the the labels that he had had no brand recognition. Because they were all different. They were all different. It yeah. was the only thing in common was like the bottom three quarters of an inch of the label. Okay. Well, that was like the
0: last thing mentioned was right. this is Fee Brothers. And whenever you look at a product on a shelf, you've got fractions of a second for the for the viewer to recognize. We look at stuff and we move right on. I I liken it to looking down the
1: aisle at the grocery store and you can see the Campbell's soup display. Yes, exactly. You may not know which one of those cans is, is chicken noodle. But there's but that monolithic you, red wall. You darn well know you're looking at Campbell's soup. That's right. Um, so he had always said, because you know we had kind of questioned him on the labels a few times, he said, well, if you can do anything better, you just... Go ahead and do it. (laughs) You threw the gauntlet down. And so my sister and I uh, came up, especially after this museum area had been put together, Hmm. we came up with the concept of the four brothers on the labels. Okay. So we took actual photographs of their photographs over to uh, our... A printing house, okay. And, they, and there was the salesman and the graphic artist. Sure. And neither of them knew us at all. They'd oh, so you always, just showed up? Yeah. Well, they knew my father. They get the They'd orders. Always, they always Talked to my father. And I mean, we—they knew we were coming. We 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 had an appointment, but um, and we said, "All right, here's our." Because my sister Ellen's in our uh, was a art major herself. Oh wow. Okay. So she. Put she knocked together a a basic concept of okay. the label, um, and we went over there and sat down with them and said, "Well, this is sort of what we want to do." And um, they sort of looked at us for a bit and said, "Well," because they knew it had to be done. Even even they
0: said. Yeah, your labels stink, <laughs> and so, they're very—they're very colorful. They're festive. They weren't poorly done. They just were all over the place. They were
1: all over the place. Yeah, the yeah. brand—no brand recognition. Yeah. So they knocked out five labels for us for these five new products, and you know, printed them out on a color printer, and we smacked them on the bottles and. Got my father aside and my mother, and said, Well, Dad, got something we want to show you. (laughs) Pulled out the bottles and put them down in front of him. And it was like he was stripping gears in his head. He he liked the fact, because he loved history and Mm -hmm. the history of the business, he loved the fact that. It was actual four brothers sure. on the label. Yeah. And it really recognized. The Fee Brothers. The Fee Brothers. Yeah. And uh, But he was stripping gears that we had done this behind his back. Oh. But he couldn't deny the results. Sure. So we just sort of let him sit there and stew sure. for a few minutes. And he said, all right. Well, if we're going to start changing labels, we're going to have to. Lower your pay a little bit so that we can pay oh. for. It. <laughs> like, no, you no, no, you don't.
0: <laughs> you, you really, you really don't. <laughs> well, I know. I used to run a design shop. I owned an agency design company. We did lots of branding, logos, that type of thing. And often when we dealt with a client, um, they have a logo, but it's not you know it's old. It's not that good, but they're emotionally invested in it because my nephew did it, my wife did it, my daughter right. did it, and I think probably for your dad. You know, it's, it's part of his, it was, he did it and he was proud of it. So to let go of that he, had to be tough.
1: He didn't have one. He didn't get the
0: concept of logo. Well, he had the concept, but he had done the artwork for the labels. Each of those. Yeah. Were, yeah, so. yeah. So it had, it just had to be hard to say, each, okay. Each label I'll was capitulate. his own brand pretty much. Yeah. 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 That's great. So that must've had an impact on sales too, just because now people have this brand recognition. Fee Brothers kind of becomes a name in the heads of the bar. it started
1: to to pick up right Mm. around then that's you know it it helped
0: it wasn't an instant um, success i would think too that it's not just that um it's more recognizable but i think what you did it took the brand from looking kind of mom and pop to more higher end oh exactly So now you've got a more cohesive brand. It's more recognizable, more professional-looking. You and your sister Ellen are getting involved in the business. The craft cocktail thing's taken off. Yes. So comparing that back then to now, how much bigger, just multiples, how much bigger is the company now than it was back then? Well,
1: to put it to you this way, in the last, say, 14, 15 years, uh, sales have grown by 500%. (laughs) <laughs> and when you're talking about a 150, how old are we now? 155 year old family business. Yeah. When when a company becomes that mature, man, you're thrilled with three, five, eight percent. Eight right. percent would be a free run. You're throwing right? a party. Yeah, right. Things are looking good. But when we had years where we were jumping by like 30 percent. Yeah. Uh, year over year, and that didn't happen just once. That sure. happened year several years year. in a row. Exponential, yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah. You're. You're delirious. You you don't need to go out and buy any recreational drugs. You just go <laughs> home and sit
0: there. You're and, high on life. <laughs> go home and sit there and giggle. Yeah, you know. Well, Joe, but that the other side of that, though, I know when companies grow that quickly, that mm. can put some strain and stress on the business too. Sure. We'll talk about that a little bit. I mean, what 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 hit hard?
1: Yeah, it it really does. Not having enough sales can hurt a business. Absolutely. Uh, having too much sales can have that same hurt feeling. Think of it this way. I've got to buy um, X percent more of bottles, caps, whatever. And that takes money. And it takes money. And those bottles and caps manufacturers want to be paid. It's funny, right? They're funny Uh, that way. Yeah, they're funny that way. And the thing is, okay, I fill the bottles and I put the cap on them. And then it sits there for a couple months. Right. And goes off to the distributor. And then the distributor pays me 30 days beyond that.
0: If if they're... Good. Sometimes you find like them down, yeah.
1: and that, for the most part, okay. our distributors are pretty good. That's but, good. Uh, but you know, when you've got cash flow, nearly a yeah. hundred different products, and you've got three hundred sixty-five days, sixty-four days in a year. Yeah. We want when when my sister makes a batch. I want her to make a four-month supply mm-hmm. uh, of the product. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, some of it sits here for a while. And it's stable. Yeah. It's stable, so mm-hmm. it can say you're fine. Okay. Um but
0: yeah, cash flow. It's exactly. a lot of inventory. I mean, how many square feet do you have in the plant total? I think at this point we're up to about thirty-six thousand square feet. Yeah, you took me into your storage area, and you've got stuff stacked floor to ceiling. I mean, you've got product.
1: Well, yeah, a lot some of it. Product. Some of it is vertical storage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that it that kind of growth. Uh, having rapid growth can be as
0: injurious to a company as not having sure. any growth. And that's where bank relationships become really important. Oh, <laughs> I love my banker. Yeah, I bet you do. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they I'm sure they love you,
1: too. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I've because I've always been straight with them. I've lived up to everything. Yep. But I did have, there were a few times when I had to go and say, you know, hat in hand and say, oh, I'm in a bit of hurt here. Need a little liquid. And here's what's going on. And you know th- these are the these are the things that I'm doing. Sure. And you know they were remarkably understanding. Yeah, yeah. Plus we you know we got a track record. You know 100 right.
0: and you know 55 years in business. Well, I think you know clearly the bank. If you if you had the lack of sales, I've got no sales. I'm looking for money. They're not as interested. I mean, I know this from experience. Sure. Uh, I also know when you've got a lot of sales, they're interested, but on a on a kind of a qualification. So, if all your sales, let's say eighty percent of your sales, you're blowing up, but it's all going to one customer. Oh, sure. Then they're not interested because they know if that customer walks away, you're in trouble. You're, you're dead. You're in trouble. Yeah. But absolutely. if that if that thirty percent growth is going to hundreds of new or fifty new customers, they they're comfortable because they know there's going to be some are going to come, some are going to go, but your business is stable. And they can invest in that kind of growth confidently.
1: I was able to walk in and say, okay, here's the new customers that we got in the last you know, six months. Yeah. And here's a few leads for different sure. countries that sure. were pretty confident in,
0: in nailing out. So, yeah, they, they – they, they got used to me. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's, it's important. That's why those relationships are so important. I think a lot of business people make the mistakes, especially young business people, not mature folks. But they don't build the relationships. And then also they need the relationship and they walk in the door hoping someone's going to help. And it's like they need to know you beforehand. They need to know your business, your vision, your plans. Oh, bullseye. Because yeah. then you can come in and say, hey, Joe, Larry, Susie, we know each other. Here's what's going on. They go, okay, great. I, I want to help. Versus, I don't know you. Who are you? You're asking for a lot of money. Uh, the answer is usually going to be, we can't help.
1: Yeah, you, you bring the banker in. Yeah. You give them, in my case, it's a woman, you give her a tour yep. of the place. You let her see that there's a history, there, there's a, an infrastructure. Here's a whole lot of stainless steel that's sitting
0: here. You've got assets, yeah. I've got assets. Yep. And, you know. You've had this long career. It's amazing, the growth of the business. It's exciting. The whole industry that you're in is a fun industry. You're having the time of your life. Um, what would you say has been the most challenging thing about the business, and what has been the the, the best thing about the business for you over these last 20 years or so, 30 years?
1: Uh, the most challenging thing about the business is personnel, mm. lately. uh keeping a consistent crew of people who want to work in a bottling plant. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's a step above McDonald's, I suppose. Sure, sure. But we do get some turnover. Um, It's a bunch of largely young people. Mm -hmm. And they haven't necessarily got... The work ethic of
0: people that are older and have a little more experience, or previous generations, just the cultural expectations. Uh, well, work, sure, right? sure, yeah.
1: Um, and so, getting getting them to not treat this as a hobby job, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. please.
0: Um, it's tough. That's that's yeah. that's a problem. Do you know Joe, I just to interject, I know with a lot of manufacturing clients and businesses that I work with, finding uh manufacturing related labor is really tough right now cuz the economy's so good. Yeah. That a lot of the great people that work in those jobs are already locked up, they're getting paid pretty good, and so it's just sure. tough when you're looking to replace somebody. It's a it's a thin market right now for for labor.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. it really
1: is. And because uh, we we ourselves, you know, have have run across that. Sure. The best thing about doing this, yeah, well, for me personally, is the travel. I've gotten a chance to go to places I never thought in a million years I would go. I've been to China, I've been to Moscow, I've I've been to, you know, Cape Town, I've been to uh, Australia. You
0: name it, I've pretty much been there. What's it like to see your product in a far-flung place? You walk into a place and you see Fee Brothers on a shelf at a bar, in some crazy. It's cool. Is it, it is just cool, and and
1: actually more so. I get pictures of people of the, of pictures of our product from people who send them to me. And say I'm in such and such a place. I'm in London. I'm in you know wherever Berlin, and I
0: came across Fee Brothers. That's so cool. And yeah. like well, yeah, that's, that's got to be a good feeling. That's us, baby. And what if you were to say like what sets your product apart from some of your com- competitors? Because there are some other bitters companies out there and mm-hmm. and cordial syrups.
1: In terms of the bitters. Some of our competitors make their bitters so concentrated that they they're they're too strong and you can't taste them interesting, yeah, after a certain point, if you concentrate something strong enough, you don't get the subtle nuances so more is
0: not always better,
1: correct okay um but for us, also, there's the consistency. Mm-hmm. You know that the bottle of bitters that you bought in February is going to be the bo- same bottle of bitters you buy in November.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the concept of bitters. Did I explain the concept of bitters to you? Why did well, it? Let's beca- do it. What? Why? What? What made it be called bitters? There's two different bitters. There's an aperitif bitters, like a Jägermeister, Mm -hmm. which we all drank too much of in college, (laughs) uh, or a Fernet Branca. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: And then there's a flavoring bitters, like Angostura or Fee Brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, One you would sip, the aperitif bitters. Mm -hmm. Ours you only use a dash or two on a cocktail. There was a German doctor named Johann Gottlieb Benjamin Siegert, and he was in the Prussian army during the Napole- Napole- Napoleonic Wars. Okay. And he, when that whole campaign came to an end, he went down to um, Venezuela and joined the Liberation Army, Of Simon Bolivar. Oh, wow. And Simon stationed him in a town called uh, Angostura, Venezuela. Oh, okay. So there's the question whether what he did came after the name of the town or came after the name of the
0: plant. Sure. Um, There's differing opinions. And was the town named after the plant or the plant named after the oh, town? Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, at, at, at this point... <laughs> at this point, who cares? <laughs> well, he's down there, he's treating various patients, you know. Some of them had stomach ailments. Mm-hmm. Probably, most notably, malaria. Okay, sure. Well, his problem was his patients had no appetite.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They wouldn't eat. And they were dying on him. He needed to get them to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's a European. He's used to having an aperitif bitter before, before dinner, sure, to stimulate his appetite. Well, he didn't have anything like that down there. Okay. So he starts extracting
0: stuff. And aperitifs tend to be very botanical, very medicinal flavored. They're they're lovely, but it's it's kind of like Sure. It's it's a pleasant medicine almost before you eat dinner.
1: Yeah, you're not going to drink them like
0: a seven-up. No, up. but they're very there's a unique flavor to an aperitif. You got it. Yeah. So he
1: he started extracting
0: things and came across the
1: Angostura Plant. I still don't know whether it's a plant or a tree. I don't care. But the bark of it, sure, and and ginger and clove and cinnamon and stuff like that. And when you extract things like that, you come up with a very concentrated flavor. And concentrated flavors taste bitter.
0: Hmm. Okay. Grab
1: a bottle of vanilla extract out of your closet, your cabinet, and taste it straight. It's gonna taste bitter, mm, sure, but use it properly, and it's anything but it's amazing, bitter. yeah, yeah, okay, so that's where the term bitters came from because he didn't have much he didn't have much of an imagination he so he'd give a tablespoon of this to his malaria patients, and it stimulated their digestive juices, and they started getting better, and they started to eat some strength mm mm-hmm. and they and they you know they were they were all right, so. Now we got to use our imagination a little bit. He's in his tent one night, you know. He's got some of the local hooch. Lord only knows what it tasted like. Mixers are a little hard to come by in the jungle. Sure. And uh, he's probably a couple into it, you know. And he says, oh, man, well... It's good for the patients. <laughs> <laughs> it might be good for the doctor. Let's let's see how this goes. And he puts a little in with his spirit and he found it tasted more uh savory. Okay. And so he started bottling this stuff, calling it Amargo Ameritico. Um and then he died. Okay. And his son and his brother uh took the company moved it to Trinidad okay and renamed it angostura bitters
0: wow so that's the history there that's where flavoring bitters comes from okay so that's the birth you can still get angostura Oh sure, they still sell. Do you can com- you compete with them directly? Correct. Yeah, but I often will see your product and their product on the shelf at the bar at the same time. Sure,
1: there's very subtle differences between our aromatic bitters because that's a brand name. So they're, right. they're The product is aromatic bitters, yeah, but their brand name is Angostura. And, and do they have Angostura? as
0: many product lines as you do? No. Yeah, I mean they're focused more on this. The they small. have the
1: basic aromatic, and they do have an orange bitters. Okay, which you also have too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we've got nineteen bitters. Okay. Uh, some of which had historic roots pre prohibition. Right, right. But went away with prohibition. Sure. But yeah, it, it, we compete directly with them. I don't take anything away from them. The um, we have a slightly more pronounced cinnamon note in ours. Mm-hmm. And
0: so, depending upon which bartender you're talking to, sure, it's all it's, it's subjective taste and sure thing. But there's a stability, uh, there's a consistency in your product, there's a quality level, there's a breadth in uh, options that, that bartenders can choose from. So your Fee Brothers is bringing something to the table that a lot of its competitors aren't. But you're just saying to me that you've got the competitors put out a good product too and it's really about what yeah. you're trying to find. Um, we've the well um, the the upside
1: too is that we've we've got our brick and mortar paid for and our stainless steel paid for sure. so we can That's turn out bottles yeah. at a reasonable price. We yeah. turn out a lot of bottles. Yeah. So the economies of scale being what they are, yeah. we can keep the keep the price down to something reasonable. Sure. And we got the distribution network. So if you go from Wisconsin to North
0: Carolina. You can find it, yeah. You can find it. Joe, With the, I, I think the, cock, the cocktail kind of explosion, I don't see that going away anytime soon. We're not going to prognosticate. Who knows what the future holds? But assuming that that's going to continue full force and healthy, that people are enjoying cocktails and will continue to, where do you see the future of your company going over the next 10 or 20 years? What's your vision, maybe, for the company? That's a better way to ask it. Um,
1: I would like to continue to be able to, to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always worried about our people. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got 15 families.
0: You 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 want to make sure that they're healthy, they're thriving, that you're taking care of them?
1: Keeping noodles on their table, baby. (laughs) So I don't see that in in jeopardy at -hmm. any time soon. But you take responsibility for it. I'm constantly thinking about it. Mm. Uh, So I don't know that I have the crystal ball skills to say that, you know, oh, next year there's going to be this thing that's going to happen and it's going to be, you know, nobody else knows about it but I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that I have those skills. Um, I find if I manage the little things mm-hmm. and I keep my ears open, to the bartenders and going to these you know big events and listening to people talk uh the big things will come to me um I am not the the I'm not the all knowing Oz you know Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain i <laughs> i don't have I don't have those skills hmm. but I can listen.
0: My guest today has been Joe Fee. Joe is the owner, along with his sister, Ellen, of Fee Brothers, makers of fine cordial syrups, bitters, botanical waters, and cocktail mixes. Please check out his company. They are at feebrothers.com, F-E-E-B-R-O-T-H-E-R-S.com. And if you want to get in touch, there's a contact form on the on the uh, site. Check out their product. Maybe it's your... Local bar, take a look behind the counter and we applaud that. Yeah, and then talk to the bartender and ask them what they think about Feed Brothers. Joe, thanks so much for being a guest today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, sir. Folks, if you haven't already, do me a favor, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, anywhere that fine podcasts are provided. I am your host, Mike Gaston. Please know that I love you all and I will check you in the next episode.